Coming up on the Mark Devine Show. I'm doing my you live to at least 180 thing in part because someone has to say you can do it so then we can do it just like breaking the four minute mile. But also I, I think it's reasonable. And if I get bored along the way and boredom is an egoic act, but if I fall victim to that and I can't fix it and my friends don't you know, haul me out of that, or if something really bad happens, like it's not worth it, then I'm done and I'm okay with that. But I, I think it's possible and I think it would give me enough time to fix things that I want to fix and to see the results to verify they're fixed. And I'm just kind of excited about that idea. Hi, I'm Mark Devine, and this is The Mark Devine Show. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless by talking to some of the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and courageous leaders, guests from all walks of life, psychedelic researchers, entrepreneurs, motivational experts, and biohackers. Like my guest today, Mr. David Asprey, the king, the father of the whole biohacking movement. Dave has worked with world-renowned doctors, researchers, scientists, global mavericks over the last two decades to research, uncover, and develop the most innovative methods and products to enhance mental and physical performance. This guy has literally developed protocols that have led to billion-dollar industries, MCT oil, collagen protein, functional coffee through his company, Bulletproof, and now his company called Danger Coffee. He spent nearly $2 million hacking his own body, has his goal to live to 180, which we're going to talk about, and continues to push the bounds of human possibility through his biohacking conference and through his um, upgrade labs and, of course, as I mentioned, Danger Coffee. Dave, super stoked to have you here. We're just going to get right into the conversation. Yep. One of my favorite spiritual teachers is a guy named Nizagarata Maharaj. Now, he didn't try to be a teacher, but people recorded, wrote down his conversations. You know, People come to see from all over the world. And um, in one of his little vignette stories were you know, his talks or his conversations. He had a conversation with a, a thousand-year-old yogi who came to visit him because you know, he heard about this great spiritual teacher. And Maharaj, you know, he's relating this. He's not actually conversing. In this story, he's not conversing with a thousand-year-old. It's related by someone else who's there. Maharaj was impressed, right, with the practices that had allowed this, you know, this Indian sage to extend his life for so long. But he said at the end, and why? What's the purpose? You're extending your life in Maya, in the dream, in the false reality of what you think you are. You know, why? What's the point? And there was no answer because that was the point of Maharaja's telling this story. What's the point for you wanting to live to 180? Throughout this whole last 20 years or so, there's been a lot of the spiritual work, you know, the whole neurofeedback side of what I do, the stuff in Tibet and Nepal and different, you know, shamanic training and all. You kind of know that's really what's going on behind the scenes. That's the path that I've been on for the last few years. And it's a little bit scary because it does lead to this kind of like, I don't give a shitness. It's a co weird concept because you do give a shit but you don't at the same time. And it's hard to really convey that. Well, the shits you give are different, I think, is, is a nuanced way of putting it. <laughs> like the that. stuff yeah, you used yeah. to care about, it maybe isn't as important as, as you were programmed to believe it was supposed to be. Right. I'm abundantly curious. There's kind of two arms to, to my motivation there. And to be really clear, that's sort of the, the gift wrapping or the simplification. The real thing is I'd like to die at a time and by a method of my choosing. Yeah, well, well that's very yoga-ish of you, by the way. And I believe that too. And I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I don't want to be some kind of disastrous, old, cantankerous man sitting in a bed feeding through a tube. If uh, 
eternal diapers are in my future. My future isn't very long. I'm sorry, like that's just how it is, right? And there is no loss of nobility or there's no harm in deciding that I'm done. Like like my my grandfather, and this is a very accomplished chemist. He co-invented the process we still use today for purifying plutonium. And when they told him, you know, if you do a lot of physical therapy and you do everything right, you might be well enough to sit at home and watch golf by yourself. And then three times a week, you'll do dialysis. And, and he's like, I don't want to do that much work for a life that, you know, I, I've watched golf for a long time. I don't need any more of that. So he just said, I'm going on the wine diet. He said, call the family. And, and he went home and, you know, we called the hospice worker and he drank his wine until, you know, three days later he was done. I totally respect that. I do too. And, and you know, some people are like, well, what a waste. You have to fight to the end. I think those people, and frankly, a lot of the longevity movement, they're people who are afraid of death. I've gotten from all the neurofeedback and the, just the esoteric teaching or not teaching, but uh, learning I've done around the world. I think birth and death are the same thing. and. People could say, what, you know, are, do you believe in past lives? There's an argument for that. I, I've seen enough of my past lives, things that I, I couldn't explain any other way, but maybe that's all just, I've convinced myself. There's a rational argument to believe in reincarnation, and, and it goes like this. If reincarnation is real, then there's not a problem with believing in it. But let's assume it's false. If you tell yourself it's true, every decision you make in this life will be made with less fear because you're not afraid of dying. It's starting the video game over again versus you never get to play over. So even if you're wrong, uh, when you die, you're not going to know you're wrong. So if you believe in reincarnation, you live this life with less fear, regardless of the actual existence of reincarnation. So I decided a while ago, you know, it's rational to believe in it, whether or not you can prove it. And I think you, that there's enough evidence that I would bet on the existence of it. In fact, I would bet all of my money on it, but I could be wrong still, but that's all right. And, you know, what Maharaj would say is it's all a dream anyways. What's real reality is what is the source of this life and the next life and the next life. So if you can identify with that source, which is the yogic direct path of yana yoga, if you can identify with that, if you can uncover that, if you can remove the veil, you know, which is the Zen kind of path, remove the veil and have that experience, the understanding, they call it, then fear goes away because you do recognize that you were never born and you never die. In the real sense of if that's being real, not to say that this life doesn't seem real, but you're a techno guy. You know that it's all basically just energy and light basically being organized in a way that our brains will organize it to perceive this biological being that's having you know this identity as Mark right, or Dave. And then that's a mistaken identity because you, what you really are is pure conscious God streaming through this biological being that then you, you begin to identify as a young child as Dave or Mark because of the faculty of memory. You're completely right. And one of the most impactful books I've come across recently is, is called The Case Against Reality. And it goes through from a, a physics perspective and a logic perspective and a psychology and just a spiritual, all the different angles you could look at it. And the theory behind the book that I, I can't poke holes in, despite what I know, is that Mother Nature designs the way we evolve it's designed to give us the best user interface on reality. Yeah. Right. So, by definition, we can't know and see everything. We don't see x-rays because it's not very useful for us to see x-rays. 0.05% of the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. And so we're optimized for that. But there's bacteria that can see 27 different kinds of things we can't see. And so they have receptors that apparently give them a survival advantage. So it's like you don't actually see all the electrons flowing through your email. You actually just see the icon on your screen and then it's your email. And you think of it that way. 
So our interaction here, even the perception of time, that's just a useful interface on whatever's really going on. And by definition, you can't see everything just like you can't have a life-size map of LA because then you would be in LA. Like you, you can't represent something smaller than it is. Well, I go further. You, there really is no such thing as LA. If you were to fly over LA, you wouldn't, all you would see is a bunch of buildings and you wouldn't see any line around it and a big sign that said LA. It's just an idea in the mind of man. And so many of what we take to be hardcore realism, reality is just ideas. You're right. Part of my mission, you, you asked why I want to live a long time. Part of it is I'm curious. I want to see what's going to happen. But part of it too is I love breaking stupid things. And you could also say I like fixing broken things. Those are different sides of the same coin. And I think humanity needs an upgrade right now, like an actual probably hardware, but maybe it's just a software upgrade. And if we don't do it, we're pretty much a failed species. And we're kind of at the end of the experiment. So all of my company missions for the different companies that I run are around upgrading humanity in one way or another, whether it's through the consciousness stuff with 40 Years of Zen and that, or Upgrade Labs is my new franchise. And we're opening this across the country. And my newest book called Smarter, Not Harder, it's about this stuff that says, look, if your biology works well, these little antenna in your body, also known as power plants, also known as mitochondria, they do a better job of picking up reality. And that means you become more conscious. And I believe that as people become more conscious, they naturally become kinder to each other because that's built into our meat. You don't have to think about that. So people who are aware generally don't torture other people. I like that. That's kind of how it works. So what if we started with our hardware and we just made that work better? And that's biohacking. And biohacking blends into what about our, our software? What about our breath work? What about our exposure to cold? What about exposure to brief bouts of pain to increase dopamine sensitivity. I mean, you know about that. <laughs> when you're in the cold water with sand wearing away whatever parts of you it wears away, like, oh my God, right? We have a lot of dopamine sensitivity in the seals. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you, you get that, that aspect. And I'm doing my, you live to at least 180 thing in part because someone has to say you can do it, so then we can do it, just like breaking the four-minute mile. But also, I, I think it's reasonable. And if I get bored along the way. And boredom is an egoic act. But if I fall victim to that and I can't fix it and my friends don't you know, haul me out of that, or if something really bad happens, like it's not worth it, then I'm done and I'm okay with that. But I, I think it's possible. And I think it would give me enough time to fix things that I want to fix and to see the results to verify they're fixed. And I'm just kind of excited about that idea. I can't poke any holes in that logic. Uh, I think that as long as we're living the dream, <laughs> so to speak, then an aware individual has the opportunity to improve their world. And when I say their world, I mean, there's one consensus world, but then there's 8 billion individual worlds. Amen. It's so correct. You work on your individual world through the biohacking and the mindfulness and, and all those things. But when we can do it at scale and you as a teacher can teach others who may not be exposed to this, do it through your books and or through an upgrade labs. Now we can get hundreds of thousands, then millions of people upgrading their consciousness, upgrading their biology. And that's what's going to change the consensus world. It's exactly how you do it. And some of the different either esoteric texts or even some of the sociology texts I've come across say we need about 15% of a population to swing into a different reality and they'll pull the rest of people with it. One of the reasons that I've built neurofeedback into upgrade labs is that when people come in there in the time that they would normally just go pick up heavy stuff, like, sure, we can put your muscles on, but that's like a five to eight minute 
problem. <laughs> oh, and did you want your cardio? We'll do it, oh, six times better than spending an hour. It's only going to take five minutes. So you have another half hour of free time left. Why don't we work on your brain? The whole idea behind smarter, not harder is that whether it's cognitive function, whether it's resilience and ability to handle stress, it's muscles, it's cardio, or it's just having more energy. These are domains where many people are asking for help. They're different than just being healthy because it's actually a definable goal. And we have new technologies that no one knows about because they've only been discovered in the last sometimes five years, or in one case, two years ago, some of them 10 or 20 years ago, but we're all picking up rocks and running away from tigers as our primary ways of modulating it or eating less. And those are so terribly ineffective that I just know we can do it better. And sometimes it's 10% the difference. 10% in six different areas is not just 10%, right? It's true. But let's face it, most people aren't going to put an hour into each of those different domains every week because I've never done, but I, I've probably come close, is spending all of your time biohacking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'm a big train. I'm all for training, right? So yeah. I'm like an anti-hacker, but I know that there is a, obviously it's more semantics, right? So there's an overlap there. Yeah. I'm all into practice and training and I still spend a good four hours a day training just because I love it. See, that's different. If you love it, I'm going to be a little bit disruptive here and say, I actually don't love training. In fact, if I never had to train any of that stuff again, I'd be fine. I find to train yoga or martial arts or a skill. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, you're not talking about just like lifting stuff and running. Meditation, cause... my breath work, my sauna, my cold plunge, my my functional fitness, my rock, all of that is training. Okay, so it, if you call that training, I would say that there's some biohacking mixed into there or you're just using highly effective training. And, and the idea is the old way is pick up a rock, set it down, pick up a rock, set it down. You can concentrate the rock into iron and that's the best innovation we've ever done. Pick it up, set it. Right. And I don't think you do that either, but many people, they go to the gym and that's what it's all about. Oh, I have a machine that does it. But if you could find something where you did it in half the time, the extra half hour, that's your meditation time. That's your parenting time. And I really have a lot of stuff I'd like to do stuff that matters. It matters to me. I think it even matters to other people. Well, what's the protocol like it, or at least your initial protocol? So I know it's going to probably change every year as technology changes, but what's it like for Upgrade Labs if I were to walk in there tomorrow? Well, when you walk into Upgrade Labs, we have you stand on a medical grade device that measures the electrical abilities of your cells. And it tells us where's your fat, where's your bone mass, where's your muscle, are you inflamed, are you dehydrated at a cellular level? And based on that, now we know where you are today. And then when you sign up, we ask you a series of questions in a survey to figure out what you're actually looking for. Because you may be walking in saying, you know, I want my brain to work. I want it like polished like a diamond. And the next guy walks in and may say, I want to lose 100 pounds like Dave had to. And the goals are totally different, right? So we establish your goals in priority. We stack rank from those five areas um, using uh, statistics and AI and things like that. And then from there, we look at your current state from your current data and, and your goal. And then we use an AI-powered system to prescribe the fastest path to get you to your goal based on your current state. So if you're like, I want to get swole, and you come in and you're blown out and you're jet lagged and you stayed up late drinking and you're terribly dehydrated, you can't get swole that day. So we're going to put you on a recovery thing to rapidly recover you to get you to the state you need to be so working out would actually be functional for you. The idea is it's not the same every time you come in. It's going to usually be the same if you're in the same average state. 
But over time, you realize you met that goal. And so then we say, all right, what's your second goal? And we, we match up the, the protocols you use on each of the pieces of equipment. So you may come in, if muscle's your thing, we use an AI-powered machine that resists your work. No matter what you do, it's going to win. And it does that on an algorithm that keeps your body from kicking its safety systems in that would prevent you from exerting your muscles. And you get three, maybe even five times faster muscle growth per minute from that versus picking up rocks. And for cardio, again, it's driven by AI. And there, it takes five minutes, and it provably works better than doing a 70% capacity workout for 45 minutes, five days a week. You, you give me you know, five minutes, three times a week, you'll get better VO2 max outcomes. It's crazy. What's your assessment of how it does that? Well, just by measuring VO2 max before and after, three studies from the University of Colorado that show that it works. No, I know, but what's the functionality? I mean, why? why? <laughs> ah, here we go. So now we're getting into some of the meat in smarter, not harder. What we're doing there is, is this new idea. It's called slope of the curve biology. And we've known for a while that doing hard stuff is good for you. But the question is how hard? And the reality is if you can turn on very quickly a stimulus that pushes the body right to the edge of dysregulation, but not into dysregulation, and then you can more quickly than is natural recover to baseline very quickly, the body will adapt magically fast. Because it goes, oh, I might need to do that, and now I have what I need. But if instead you push yourself into disequilibrium, you blow yourself out, it takes a long time for the body to recover, so the amount of recovery you get is much less. And the faster you recover, the more quickly the body adapts. So I call that slope of the curve biology. And what that means is that high-intensity interval training is better than just normal chronic cardio by orders of magnitude. But high-intensity interval training, it's not optimized because it doesn't allow you to recover as much as you should. And a few books ago, at the very beginnings of this idea, I wrote that if you do high-intensity interval training and you lay down on your back between intervals, that it works better. And that's the very beginning. So you lay on your back, you recovered faster than if you kept walking. So it's the slope of the curve up and the slope of the curve down. And when we have an AI system that's measuring your heart rate to be able to drive it up and down and tell you what to do in your headphones, suddenly magic happens and you adapt way more quickly. And there's something else I write about in the book. There's a section on just cardio, stuff that works better than running for a long time. And that is something called zone two training, where you actually need a, a heart rate monitor to do this. And that's something that is time consuming. It takes a couple hours a week. And if you train in this very narrow range of heart rate, you have to use the math in the book to calculate it, then that makes your mitochondria burn fat. If you run a little faster or a little slower, you don't do it. So there's like a magic Goldilocks zone right in the middle. These are invisible to normal humans without data. And the idea behind quantified self, beyond biohacking, is we're just going to do what works. So this neat hack for fat burning is there is a fat burning zone, but it's not what most people think it is, which is just do more cardio. And then there's another one for cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory fitness, and that is turn it on almost instantly and turn it off almost instantly. This is interesting because, you know, I've come to similar conclusions just through countless and countless hours of working with um, warriors, you know, through SealFit. So on the first, what you called zone two training, we call stamina training, right? So stamina is not all out and it's also not strength training. It's basically m muscular endurance. And over time, you know, so you develop this kind of like methodical, slow ability to do a lot of work which special operators have to do, but you're not, your heart rate isn't elevated beyond maybe 
60%, you know, 50, 60% range. You're probably in that same range. Yeah. And I think we're in the same range and you get into this, basically you naturally become, you know, combined with a keto diet, you're just burning fat. I have a lot of critiques for CrossFit, even though I think Glassman did some marvelous good, you know, for the, you know, just awareness because it's just too intense for too long and it's just balls to the wall. Yep. First of all, we, we train as a team, so we're not trying to compete. Competition is for integrity and teams capability, right? Which also means that I have to optimize my performance. And so we would um, downregulate after every, you know, scheme or series of repetitions or sets or whatever you would call it in your, your scheme of workout through um, a breathing exercise, mindful breathing exercise. So everyone would just sit there, you know, do basically a mother's breath, you know, slow inhale, soft or, you know, five count inhale, 10 count exhale, and get your breathing back to where you can breathe through your nose. Then we engage in the next repetition. Not as probably powerful as just laying down in Shavasana and doing it, but it worked for us. And I think it's a similar principle. It's a similar principle. And and of course, you know, in the SEALs, you guys have to figure out the things that work. We have the time. We get paid, right, to figure out the optimal training methods. And also, if you do it wrong and someone else does it right, there are fatal results. You're highly motivated. You're adequately funded and you have the time to do it. Like you're the perfect crucible for figuring out the stuff. What I find it is that oftentimes we intuit it or some old yogic sage wrote about it. There is traces of evidence enough to pick it up and then you do it. And then some of the things like the intermittent fasting protocols that were a part of the Bulletproof Diet or, or the C8 MCT works better than the other MCT. There wasn't a study about C8 MCT, but I could feel it. So I wrote about it. And five years later, the study comes up at University of San Diego. And like, there, I told you it was more ketogenic, but, but it wasn't data driven. It was sensation driven, right? And you did the same thing with your work there saying, well, this works better. So I'm just going to do it. And I don't care if a university gives me permission. I don't need permission to do it works better. I do my best in Smarter Not Harder to talk about the university studies behind this. But some of it, like transcranial electrical stimulation for the brain. Uh, so, okay, meditation is good for you. But what if you could get all your meditation done in 30 seconds and it was exactly as good or better than two hours a day? Would you sign up for it? I mean... I'm not claiming you can do that in the book, but as a use case, oh, it turns out that there are ways to meditate faster than just meditating in a cave. And they're usually technology-based, but not always. And one you would probably agree with there is, you know, it seems like breath work in combination with meditation is more effective per minute, right? So let's make that a goal of meditators, not, oh, I meditated for a half hour every day. I'm so enlightened. It's like, I did the most effective, efficient, and powerful meditation to get into the state of my choice in a half hour. Because the return on investment could be 10 times higher when you do it that way. So I go through all the different technologies that you can use to control the state of your brain that we know about today and the pros and cons of each one. I talk about why I chose neurofeedback in Upgrade Labs and why I'd use some other technologies on top of that at 40 Years of Zen. I'm just teaching in here for these five big domains Here's what works better than the way we've always done it. Here's why it works better. And then give you a roadmap for here's the cheap stuff. Here's the affordable stuff that's maybe a hundred bucks. And here's the stuff that might cost more. Even on the supplement side of things. Yeah, I take more supplements than well, probably anyone else uh, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I have a fair amount myself, but nothing compared to you. <laughs> I have the most expensive pee in North America, I'm sure. And, and I'm okay with that. That said, People don't want to do that. In fact, most people can't swallow 50 pills at a time. I don't know if you, you saw the thing with Liver King. Uh, he got in trouble recently, but 
he had a thing, well, I swallowed 30 pills at a time. Anyone who swallows more is manly. And so I'm like, I don't know. Well, here, here's 50. And I saw 50 pills and then they were calling him liver queen. And like, <laughs> I'm trying to do that, man. Like I was just teasing you. <laughs> so, but when it comes to supplements, there's two things that make every other biohack work better or every other training, if you want to use like the old tough word. What you get there is number one is minerals. People are so mineral deficient because if you go on a plant-based diet, well, it makes you weak in and of itself, but plants suck minerals from your body. And our plants and our meat doesn't even have enough minerals because our soil is depleted. Your mitochondria cannot make electricity. Your body cannot make harder bones and bigger muscles if it doesn't have adequate minerals. Since everyone's deficient, that's something that I built into my new coffee company. It's called Danger Coffee. The coffee has trace minerals built in. So you drink the coffee, you're repleting your minerals. That's interesting. Normally, you would think that caffeine would deplete minerals. No, caffeine doesn't deplete minerals, but coffee does have a small amount of something called phytic acid, which is a primary depleter, but it's a very small amount compared to, say, any grain, any seed, or any nut. So if you're out there, you know, I'm, I'm paleo, I'm eating a bunch of nuts and seeds, or if you're just a normal diet and you're eating rice cakes and, and bread and things like that, they are sucking minerals out of your bones. When you get your minerals in your body and you also take the other most important supplement, which is vitamin DAKE. That's D-A-K-N-E, all the fat-soluble vitamins together. And it's something that we're making for Upgrade Labs. And I'm not trying to sell it to people because you can buy vitamin D-A-K-N-E from all kinds of places. You know, you can get mine or not. But if you get these, these drive minerals into cells and keep them there. So if you have the combination of fat-soluble vitamins that come from animals in our normal diet, and you have minerals that come from animals and salt primarily in our normal diet, you end up with your meditation works better, your muscle building works better, everything works better, even your stress handling systems. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Okay, we're gonna take a short break here from the Mark Devine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. And now back to the show. One of the key tenets we talk about in Unbeatable Mind is if you want to upgrade your mind, right? If you want to develop an unbeatable mind, start with the body. Yes. You got to optimize the body, optimize the brain. You got to dial in the sleep and the nutrition and the exercise and the movement and the stress management and get out in nature. All of that is just preparatory work. Because if you don't do that, then any attempt to meditate is just going to be, you know, it's going to be frustrating at best. It's frustrating and you get 10% of the benefits of coming into the meditation with a brain that can actually fire its synapses at will instead of whenever it gets enough energy that it's not worried about some other crap. It's why when I'm doing intense neurofeedback with people, I just have an executive chef who prepares the food because otherwise they can't do the work if I don't feed them right. But here's the part of Smarter, Not Harder. And by the way, I have to show you the book cover because you'll laugh at it. It says at the top, warning may cause more results with less effort. Here's the part you're not gonna like though. I talk about the laziness principle in the book. And your body, it evolved to be lazy. And it did that for a very strategic reason. You're talking about mine or, or general humans? Body? Well, yours in general, you're an exceptional lazy guy. I'm just looking at you. <laughs> I can only say that because we're in different rooms and you can't just throttle me right there. <laughs> How long do you want to live? <laughs> so, all right, uh, the laziness principle. All biology is wired, number one, to have a user interface on reality, like we talked about before, that works for, for keeping it alive. The second thing is for energy conservation. 
And what that means is that we naturally, in what I call our meat operating system, there's a third of a second for most people, it's a gap between when something happens around you and when your brain gets the first electrical signal that it comprehends it. So during that third of a second, your operating system is doing a bunch of crap that's invisible to you. And that's a bit worrisome because it could be doing all sorts of things and you think you did it, but it did it and you just took credit for it. The best example, you lean against a hot stove, you pull your hand away and take credit for it. But some other system pulled that hand away. That's like one of those times when the operating system is visible to us, but we always naturally take credit for it. So one of the things it does is it says, if you can use less energy, that's good and you should use less energy. And that's because there might be a famine at any time. So eat the whole pizza and lay on the couch because that's a survival behavior because there might not be any more pizza and you might need the energy to run away from a predator. And this is where a lot of that inherent laziness comes from. So what some of us do is what you've done with amazing success is I'm just gonna fight against my inherent laziness and I'm just gonna learn to train the crap out of my operating system. It takes a lot of willpower to do that and a lot of time and energy. And I'm gonna posit that 90% of people listening probably don't have the fortitude, the energy, the timing, or the other resources to do that to the extent you have. And we're all using our willpower in multiple ways. We're trying to feed our families, we're trying to be a good spouse, we're trying to take care of kids, take care of our community, improve our lives. Instead of fighting against your inherent laziness, I suggest in a Smarter Not Harder that you actually embrace your inner laziness fully. And it's a hack for motivation. So I'm not telling you to lay on the couch. If you buy a $500 pair of shoes that used to be $900, you're like, yeah, I saved $400 on my shoes. You don't say I spend $500 on my shoes. So your body way amplifies savings. So if you want to motivate yourself to exercise, you could do it the way that you do it, which is I am tough, I am man enough, like I'm just going to go get to it because that's who I am and you do it. And I, I think that's badass. Many people aren't doing that today. In fact, only 8% of people exercise as much as the government says, and the government's full of crap on anything having to do with your health anyway. <laughs> so, okay, if we're not doing it, well, that means it's a motivational issue or it's a willpower issue. So here's your motivation. If you say today, I'm going to save 50 minutes of exercise by doing 10 minutes of stuff that works phenomenally well, that gets me the same or similar results. If you focus on the time you save to do a little bit of exercise, you'll be motivated to do it. But if you focus on the time it takes to do a little bit of exercise, you won't be motivated to do it. So you're literally like, look, I'm gonna save 50 minutes, I win. And that tells your meat operating system that this is actually something that's in alignment with evolution, right? Because the saving of energy is motivating the unconscious parts of you. So you just tell the unconscious parts of you, using your consciousness, hey, you're saving a ton of energy in this little action. And it's like, oh, thank God. So focus on how much you saved on the shoes instead of how much you spent, but do that for your biohacking, do that for your exercise, do that for your meditation. I'm gonna do a 20 minute meditation using this tech or this soundtrack or this breathing technique. Yes, it saved me 40 minutes. I'm gonna use that 40 minutes to go scroll on Instagram. You can do whatever you want. That's not a great choice, but <laughs> you can do whatever you want because you're buying time that way. And it turns out this is a major motivational hack that I've never seen written about anywhere. Just focus on the savings for your exercise. But to do that, you have to know what works better. And that was what motivated me to write Smarter Not Harder. It's kind of the, the ultimate biohacking manifesto about here's what works. And of course, it's gonna change five years from now. We'll probably have better neurofeedback techniques or some crazy guy in New Zealand is gonna figure out that if you cross your eyes and stand on one leg, you know, that you become Buddha. I have no idea, but we'll find the data <laughs> and then we'll, we'll all do that, right? <laughs> if someone's... 
driving in their car and they're like, damn, this makes a lot of sense. But I was a total turd in 22 and now I'm all motivated in January. It's January 23. They're recording this. What would be the one thing you would tell them to do starting tomorrow? Maybe you can expand that to like two or three, but like the one most important, do this before all else. If health is involved in your New Year's resolution, like get healthier and things like that, just stop. Health doesn't mean anything. There is no one who wakes up in the morning and says, today, I want to be healthy. It's not the first thing on your mind. If you're profoundly ill the way I used to be when I had uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and I was 300 pounds, you do want healthiness, but you know what you want even more? Feel good. Well, you want energy for sure. You also want power and you also want sex and you want pizza (laughs) because this is your meat operating system talking. You think that what you want is what you want? No, it's what your meat wants and it convinces you you want it. You don't decide to have a pizza craving. It happens and you think it's you doing it, but it's your stupid meat operating system. So it's not gonna prioritize health until you're near death. And I know this from running an anti-aging nonprofit group. I can never get anyone (laughs) under 60 to join, even though it's a lot easier to not age when you're 20. But when you're 20, you're like, I'm gonna get laid, not I'm gonna live forever. So that's what I would tell you is don't look at health. Pick a specific domain that you wanna improve. And that's why the book is structured that way. Okay. If your goal is around your brain, then set a goal around an activity that is going to make your brain work and set a savings goal. It says, I am going to do 30 minutes of this kind of meditation, whatever kind you pick, and or maybe you're going to use like brain tap with light and sound goggles and things like that. And maybe you're going to use a breath work, some, one of the many different soundtracks that are out there. But whatever it is, you're going to do that. And in the book, I'll tell you how much time you save doing that versus doing it just with none of the the hacks or the assists. And so your goal is, I'm going to spend this much time and I'm going to save this much time. So if you set a goal that says, I am going to improve my resilience because I'm going to do 30 minutes of meditation with breath work every day, and that's going to save me 90 minutes of boring meditation, you will stick to it better because you focused on saving 90 minutes every day than on spending 30 minutes. I'm curious since the last time I talked to you, which was over at um, Peter Diamandis' event, was like I think like ten or twelve years ago when I met you at the same event, you had just taken some, just taken some financing for your amazing company, Bulletproof, and um, you were so proud of that company, and and you did some amazing shit there. Thank you. But you're no longer there. What happened? You didn't really tell me what ha- actually happened. You just said things went a little sideways. I'm off the board of directors. I am still a major shareholder in the company, and I, I really want Bulletproof to succeed. You know, it, it's, it's my baby, but I, I don't have any, any control over what it does. I don't have any visibility into what it does. Like, I don't even see financial statements. Were you forced out, or were you, did you have a conflict with the investors, or what happened? Business people who are listening, are, I would be curious. Yeah, business people who are listening would be curious, and, and that's, um, that's probably not something I can, I can really talk about. We'll just say it, it wasn't my choice to leave the board, Okay, but it, it got set up in such a way that, that it happened that way. And this is common when you're dealing with, with VCs and all that, and you know, there's a, a big chessboard that happens with entrepreneurs and investors, whether they're family offices or VCs or, or angels or things like that. And there's an algorithm that governments actually <laughs> have, have pioneered. And what a government will do is it'll say, I just need you to do me a favor. I just need this one little right. It's for your own good. And then they keep doing that until you're like, screw off. 
And then they stop and they wait six months or a year or five years and then they do it again. And each time it's like a potato peeler. They're just taking off another layer, another layer, but they never put it back on, right? Well, VCs are the ultimate experts at doing this with founders. And so over time, you, you just realize that, that you make micro decisions that are for the common good. And then you realize, and I'm just generalizing this you know, to all entrepreneurial investor interactions when the investors are operating like governments do, is that the things you're doing that are of mutual best interest have long-term effects that diminish your power and increase your investor's power. And you know, now that I understand the system, when I'm an advisor for entrepreneurs, and I do a lot of advisory work to help new biohacking companies get you know, proper funding and to help founders stay in control uh, for longer. I knew straight up when I took the first venture capital, I've worked for VCs, like <laughs> on the payroll. You know that you're committing to sell your company. I'm very happy to sell Bulletproof and to help what I've built into its DNA when it joins a larger entity. And I hope that happens at some point it's going to change the DNA of the entity so that it's more innovative and so that it's more focused on stuff that people want to buy because it makes them feel amazing. That was my thesis on Bulletproof, straight up. People are smart enough to spend a little bit more on food that makes them feel way better than what they're currently eating. It also has to taste good. And ideally, it's good for the planet and it's convenient and all that. The big food operating system is make food as cheap and as pretty as possible. (laughs) Like that's all they care about, right? They don't care what it does to you. In fact, I'll argue too, you make more money if you make an addictive food, uh, unquestionably. And that's why, you know, the crunchy and bad oils and MSG and all that kind of nonsense that they do. But I also feel like if I can just say, look, this protein bar, the first protein bar, that was four bucks for a protein bar. When I first launched collagen bars for Bulletproof, we outsold Kind Bar and the RX Bar on a per skew basis, even though our price was twice as high or three times as high. And it was because people were like, oh, I wanted the benefits of how this, how I feel, how I taste. And so I think it, it really sent a signal and, and there's been a huge wave of companies focusing on the quality and type of ingredients. So that's all good. And at some point it'll, it'll end up in the right hands and it'll be of benefit to the company that it works with. And I'm always available to help out uh, with Bulletproof whenever. Because Danger Coffee seems like it's a competitor now to your company, Bulletproof. Well, Danger Coffee is a different concept. It's not about butter and MCT. And you know, Danger Coffee, right on the label, it says mold tested. And you know, there's a lot of coffees out there that use like a clean or some, some kind of words, but they don't tell you what clean is. And there is no coffee. I know because I wrote the trademark stuff or the patent stuff for this. No coffee is doing the combination of trace minerals and coffee. and that is a very potent effect because it affects how the coffee is absorbed. So it's a different concept. Upgrade Labs needed a coffee and Bulletproof didn't want to be the coffee for Upgrade Labs. So there wasn't much choice about it. And this is a new innovation I came out with since I left Bulletproof. It's just a, it's an evolution. It's a continuation, but I love Bulletproof coffee. (laughs) It works. There's nothing wrong with it. Danger is just something that I needed. Upgrade Labs has built in functional coffee. By the way, I should say ownandupgradelabs.com is where people can go to learn how to like open one in your neighborhood. What's a, um, a franchise cost? Turns out in the US, it's illegal for me to say how much a franchise costs until you sign an NDA. Are you serious? <laughs> it's the most regulated, insane industry ever. Like I love to say it costs this range to this range, but seriously, my team has warned me over and over. If I say it in public like this, I'll get a call from the franchise, whatever the hell they're called. And they're like the SEC, but for franchises. So I, I would open ourselves up for, what do you call it? Um, Uh, By the way, this is my opinion. I think it's a phenomenal opportunity. First of all, proven entrepreneur, you know, genius who's always going to innovate. 
you probably learned from Bulletproof in terms of who's backing it, right? You're not going to bring on any shark VCs, are you, who are going to mess with you? I have learned a lot about how to choose uh, the right investors, for sure. And I have some great people who've backed me in Bulletproof that I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I can say I've made some strategic errors, you know, a few little decisions about adding board seats or whatever, but it's on me at the end of the day, right? You know, I, I could have played that hand of cards different. It's a very rich hand of cards. I mean, how many people started from scratch and built a $100 million year company? Like it's, it, You're bound to step in a ton of landmines along the way. I've learned so much. And so I, I can't blame anyone but myself for that kind of a thing. The real reason Upgrade Labs is awesome is that I started the biohacking facility idea, the biohacking lab. Like this, I, I, I created it out of thin air. And I opened it eight years ago. And I've operated it. And I've tested dozens of pieces of gear and different business models. And it's taken me this long to feel good about franchising. Because when, when I franchise it, I'm basically saying, I know how to turn the crank and make money. And the vast majority of people who came in over the years and tried to copy what I was doing, it cost me more than $10 million to learn how to run it as a profitable business. These guys are all doing what I used to do. <laughs> and they're, gonna, they're already getting their asses handed to them because it's actually hard to learn how to do this. So the, select, the training of people and the selection of the gear and the data models and all that, I finally got it, but I didn't need to go franchise this until I thought that was the fastest and best and safest way to get it, get biohacking in everyone's hands. I, I want people to say, I only have one hour a week to improve myself. They don't have an hour a day like you or me or four hours a day like you. That hour better count beyond belief. And this is cost effective and people feel and see, and we even give them the data. Like, you know, you're changing. You don't have to just like believe I went to the, the gym, I flopped some weights around sweated a little bit, I think I'm losing weight. It's not like that. It's prescribed. So you do this at this level and it's monitored. Here's your data. Here's how you did. Here's your graph showing you over time. And you're, oh, that's motivational. So that's ownandupgradelabs.com. Danger Coffee, you know, I want to try some. I tried some at the um, at your event because you had that little booth out there. Is it brewed coffee? Do you have it in pods? It's in uh, whole bean or ground. And I'm working on pods. I I have a love-hate relationship with pods because of the environmental factor. There's some that are clean now that you can get that are, are compostable. So I'm working on a solution like that. I, I don't feel good, you know, unrecyclable, even though they say they're recyclable, pods that could circle the planet twice. I've actually met the guy who invented them. And I don't think, I don't know if he's that happy about it. And these companies are like, oh, here, put the pods in an envelope and mail them to us. Like how much, how much waste do we need to go through with cars driving around, shipping little empty pods? It's not that hard to pour boiling water over coffee, slosh it around, wait four minutes, and then drink it. Like, for God's sake, guys. It doesn't seem like it'd be hard to create a biodegradable pot either. I think there just wasn't motivation because if, this is the other thing that Bulletproof uh, let me do. I have met the CEOs of the largest global food companies on the planet. The uh, Indira, who used to run uh, Pepsi, you know, I sat down and, and she's like, well, if we were a, if we were a country, we'd have the 17th largest GDP, <laughs> like, like the crazy size. And, and to get to sit down and to talk like over dinner where it's not, you know, a PR or public relations forum, these people usually, but not always, um, they're saying, look, I want to make healthier food for people. But if I raise my cost by half a cent, then people just flock to my competitor because their stuff is, is you know, slightly cheaper in the market. So the real problem is that we have trained and we haven't for a long time that the easiest way to save money is on food quality. In my world, the last place I would skim would be on food quality. Like I'd live in a tent and eat good food versus live in an apartment and eat bad food. Literally, I, I would make that trade off in a minute because I know how I would feel. 
And I think if we shift our priorities as a society, it'll help. But all these guys feel trapped. They want to make this stuff, but they know that if they don't make the cheapest stuff, they might lose market share. It's the same thing with Amazon. Amazon turned into a flea market over the last 10 years. It used to be you could buy like normal quality consumer goods there. And now everything on Amazon is just a race to the bottom because it turns out always a low price is the wrong goal. The best quality where you know what you're getting and you can choose your quality is, is the goal I want. And so that's why I tell you this. This is grass-fed. It's organic. This is why I lab test super high-end coffee beans, and then I add a whole bunch of trace minerals so that it actually replaces your need to take a supplement, and they vacuum up toxins in your gut, and they can enter your cells. I just think people are smart enough to do that. And yeah, my coffee is more expensive than Starbucks. And, and that's okay, because it's got like 50 bucks a month worth of supplements built into it. So Danger Coffee's out there, but right now I don't have the, the pods, um, but I'll, I'll probably come up with something here. And people are buying it by e-commerce, dangercoffee.com. And the subscription rate is phenomenal because people try it and like, oh, I feel different just on black coffee. It's a different thing. It's not about putting butter in MC. You can, I do that sometimes, but it's not necessary. You just drink a cup of black danger coffee and something different happens because you got a big dose of minerals at the same time. We got to wrap this up soon. I've been going for a while, but um, the old Bulletproof Conference is now your biohacking conference, right? I think you, oh, yeah. you kept that on and now you're doing that, putting a lot of energy into that. When do you run that? That is coming up in June in Orlando this year. And you go to biohackingconference.com. You save a lot of money when you go there now because the earlier you buy a ticket, the lower it costs, just so I know how big to make it. We ran out of space at the Beverly Hilton with 2,500 people, and we had about 3,500 last year in Florida. So I would guess maybe four or 5,000 people are gonna come and spend three and sometimes four days completely like, like we have a full-on party, like a real party with DJs and dancing. And we have so many events and, and spinoffs. So it's, it's a chance to come together and to play with the toys. And there's a lot of community building. This is where all the founders of the companies that I talk about that you talk about, they're actually there. So you can just talk to the founder about why they did it that way. And you can see who's trustworthy. And I hope everyone there is trustworthy. I do turn away companies like multi-level marketing and things like that. But I, I do let some companies in where I'm like, I don't, I haven't vetted this product full. I don't know for sure, but I know that they're going to tell their story and then people can try it. You can see it right there and you can say, all right, is, is this worthy? So there isn't a conference like it anywhere on earth. It's in its 10th year. We're calling it the ninth annual. It's actually the 11th, including the, the COVID ones. Do you have any um, fitness companies that join or gear companies? The reason I asked is I just acquired Brute Force Training, which is unstable load systems, you know, sandbag vests, sandbag and kettlebell sandbags. I love it. We absolutely have a whole bunch of fitness companies to come as long as you're doing it better than the old way. And like you said, unstable training is right in our alley. So you should be there and like have, have your gear there and put it on people and film them and have them doing it. Totally. Awesome, Dave. Well, man, I, I really respect everything you're doing and, and appreciate your, your creativity and entrepreneurial spirit, you know, being the pioneer in some areas that not a lot of people are touching on. So that's awesome. It's really fun to talk to you. You know, Mark, I always appreciate your mindset. You're, you're curious and, you know, you have this just fount of willpower and you've shared it with a lot of people. So true respect, brother. And, and thank you for the work you're doing and inspiring and leading. And uh, let's jointly figure out how long we want to do this and for why. Yeah, exactly. We'll work on that. All right. Hope to see you in June, Dave. And who uh, ya? Stay focused and get the book. I will do. Guys, smarter, not harder. Order now, please, because it'll count more if you do that. It'll help other people. Smarter, not harder. Buy wherever you like to buy them. See you, Mark. Boom. Take care, Dave. Hoo-yah. Thanks, buddy. What a fantastic conversation with my friend Dave Asprey. We talked about all sorts of interesting things and, of course, his new businesses, Upgrade Labs and Danger Coffee, which I'm going to check out both. 
So share it, enjoy it. Show notes are up on our website at markdevine.com. You can uh, check out the YouTube there, our YouTube channel, Mark Devine. Twitter, I'm at Mark Devine, at Mark Devine, and on Instagram and Facebook, at Real Mark Devine, and I'm on LinkedIn, as most of you are as well. My new newsletter, Divine Inspiration, comes out every Tuesday, where I have a synopsis of the weekly podcast, my blog, book I'm reading, and some other interesting tidbits and a practice. So check it out at markdevine.com to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for my team, Jason Sanderson and Jeff Haskell and Catherine Devine, who helped produce this podcast and bring incredible guests like Dave to you every week. Reviews are very, very appreciated. It helps other people find the show, keeps us easily searchable. So consider reviewing and rating us wherever you listen. Thanks for being part of the change you want to see in the world. As I say quite often, there's one consensus world, as I was speaking with Dave today, but there's 8 billion individual worlds. First, change your mind to change your world. Dave says 15% of the population at scale, we can change the world we see around us. But it's got to happen with you first. So thanks for doing the work. Until next time, this is your host, Mark Devine. Yeah. Okay.